Amen. Hey, you guys, and uh, take a seat. Anybody glad to be in church today? All right, there's two of you. Anybody else glad to be in church today? All right. Anybody love Christmas out there? Awesome. All right. Hey, hey, for the last couple of weeks, we've been in this series of conversations called Sea Tunes, where we've been reminded that music is our best response to the mystery of Christmas. And what a mystery, right? The sovereign God of the universe putting on flesh and coming to this earth as a tiny baby. And listen, if God didn't do it, if God didn't reveal it, we never would have thought this thing up. I mean, what kind of all-powerful, always-existing, always-present, all-knowing God does something like this, right? Our God, because that's who he is. Yes, music and singing and praising God is the best response to the mystery of Christmas. And for the last few weeks, we've been unpacking the original tunes of Christmas and downloading some pretty powerful truths. Truths about God's care and God's mercy and God's might. Truths about God's way and God's promises. Truths about what the Christmas story is all about. How it's about God's story, not our story. How it's about God's timing, not our timing. How it's about God's gift, not our effort. Amen? God's purpose is not our agenda. And God's new day and not darkness's old day. Brothers and sisters, God's light has come. And darkness has not and will not ever overcome it. Amen? Amen. All right, I, I got to get real with y'all right now, okay? I need some love, right? You know, if you're visiting, you know, I'm begging. I always beg, you know, because you know, like, I, like I say, you know, when I'm up here preaching, my clock stops, so hold on. So I didn't count against anybody here. Boom. Okay. Stopped again. <laughs> okay, there you go. Okay, it's, it's kind of, I like to say it's like a, a middle school dance. It works better when everybody's kind of cooperating and doing it. So I, I like amens and, and let's be excited and energized. And just to let you guys know, I, I'm going on an hour and a half of sleep. I have one of those nights where you fail open. You know, it's, it's one o'clock and then you start trying to go to sleep. That never works. That's why they call it falling asleep. I finally fell asleep about three o'clock and then my alarm went off at 445. So uh, so uh, anyhow, it's going to be a great day, all right? And this morning, so give me the love. This morning we will unpack another sea tune, this one written by a guy named Simeon, and the story is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 35. And the way I, I want to attack our study this morning is, first we're going we're gonna to walk through the 15 verses that, that make up our text verse by verse, and as we do that, we're going we're gonna to learn some stuff about our writer Simeon, and we're going to take a look at some of the truths that we find in his song. And then once we've done that, we're going to look at these 15 verses to see what they tell us about joy about how to find a joy that lasts, how, how to find a, a joy that is deep and real and lasting, okay? And so let's pray into this uh, study. Uh, God, we love you, and God, we stand in all of who you are. God, there's, it, there's no one like you. God, we look up and we acknowledge that there's no one like you. And God, right now, I pray that each of us will bow down, that we'll bow down our hearts, our minds, our spirit, and acknowledge the fact, God, that we need you. That we need you every day, every moment, every hour of our lives. And God, I pray that your word would come with power. Uh, God, I pray that your word that's alive and active, that we'll receive it alive and actively. God, I ask that you would help me to share this in a way that brings you honor and brings you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. It'll, it'll pop up on the screen. You may have your um, 
um, analog uh, Bible with you or your digital version on your phone. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. A name that means, the name Jesus means, the Lord is salvation. Uh, Listen, our, our Lord doesn't just bring and give salvation. Our Lord is salvation. Turn to the person to your right and left and tell them, the Lord is salvation. The Lord is salvation. You're not going to find salvation in any, any person. You're not going to find salvation in anything else other than Jesus. And if you're looking for life and salvation in anything other than Jesus, it will not be lasting. Luke continues, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as was written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. They took Jesus to consecrate him. And the word consecrate means to set apart. You know, we're to set apart to the Lord. And there's a new song that we're singing here. I, I really love it. The King is Among Us. And, and there's, a, there, there's a, a line in that song that really gets me fired up. Uh, where it says, you know, we're singing back to God. You say consecrate ourselves to you. And we will see amazing things. Listen, if you set yourself apart for God and his purposes, you will see amazing things in your life. And now notice that there's three different aspects of the Old Testament law intertwined in these verses. In verse 21, it says that all male children will be circumcised on the eighth day. Abraham was first told this in Genesis chapter 17, and this would happen to Jesus in Bethlehem. You ever wonder why... It happened on the eighth day. Well, in 1935, uh, vitamin K was discovered, which is what causes the liver to make a substance known as prothrombin, which helps the blood to clot. And what they also discovered, we have a drawing here, is that on the eighth day, you know, it is at the highest level of our entire lives. You know, it never reaches that level again. You know, so the reason God chose the eighth day is because the blood will clot on the eighth day, like it'll never clot before. And again, we discovered that in 1935. God spoke it to Abraham in 2000 BC, and God knew it when he created us. And that's just another proof in the Bible, right, of how our God is a creator and how the Bible is a divine book because it has pre-scientific knowledge. Um, In verse 22, it says that after waiting 40 days, after the birth of the son, mothers were to present themselves in the temple for the purification. And then in verses 23 and 24, the law also required that a, a mother and father present their firstborn son before the Lord to be redeemed by the offering of a sacrifice. Do you remember when Israelites were, were led out of Egypt, the last plague was the plague of the firstborn, and God passed over them, and, and, and their firstborn sons were saved? Well, they now belong to the Lord. And you would go on the 40th day of the, child, of the son's birth, and, and you would dedicate him to the Lord. And it's in that spirit that we have our child dedications, right? A few weeks back, we had six sons at Maple Grove were dedicated to the Lord, right? Saying, hey, these children ultimately belong to God. And I said, Joseph and Mary were two parents that aligned their family to what God asked them to do and who God asked them to be, right? God's word was what they built their family on. You know what? And I think that's a great challenge for us, right? You know, all the parents out there, 
what are you building your family on? Are you building on the truths found in God's word, you know, on a solid foundation? Or are you building your family on sand, right? You know, I suggest we take the example and challenge from Joseph and Mary and align our family. Hey, here's what the Bible says about dads and about husbands and wives and children and Christ followers in general. Uh, this passage also tells us something about the financial situation of Joseph and Mary. Leviticus 12 says that when a woman came for a purification, she was to bring a lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon for a sin offering. It also says if she could not afford a lamb, she could instead substitute that for two doves or two pigeons. And, and this allowed even poor women to obey the law. And I find this kind of ironic uh, that the earthly parents... <clears throat> that the earthly parents of the Lamb of God could not afford to bring a lamb for the sacrifice. And as Luke continues, Simeon, whose name means he who hears, uh, arrives on the scene. And aside from what we hear in Luke chapter 2, we don't know anything else about this guy. We don't know his background, his hometown, his education, or even his occupation. And we assume he's a priest, so the text doesn't say so. People like me assume that he's old because... We like old guys to do great things, right? When I say old, some people in this room think like 30, right? I remember when I thought old was 30, right? Now I think old is 130, right? I'm just amazed that like there's so few old people anymore, right? I mean, it's just nuts, right? So he was an old dude, and that makes me feel better, all right? And, and, and And he simply appears on the stage of history as a bit player in the drama surrounding the birth of Christ, and after his part is over. He fades away from the scene, never to be heard from again. Now, Luke continues. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, he who hears, who was righteous and devout. He was eagerly waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And so what do these verses tell us about our writer, about Simeon? Number one, he was righteous and devout. In other words, he was right with God and he did the best he could to follow God's commands. He was also eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue God's people. That's what the phrase, waiting for the consolation of Israel, means. The Messiah coming to rescue them. Number three, Simeon had a, we know that he had a very short bucket list, right? Now you know what a bucket list is, right? It's the idea of making a list of things that you want to do before you die and kick the bucket. And the term's been around a long time. It was popularized by a movie recently in which two terminally ill guys go on a road trip to do the things they wanted to do before they died. And they end up skydiving, climbing the pyramids, and riding their motorcycles on the Great Wall of China. And if you Google this, right, right there's all kinds of internet sites about bucket list. You know, tell you how to have a bucket list. There's one called bucketlist.org, right, where great ideas, a bucket list, you can add the things to your list, right, and then you can check off kind of like when you, okay, here's my bucket list item, and I actually did it. I, I saw things like this on the main page there. You know, rock climbing, slow dancing in the rain, um, going horseback riding on the beach, floating on the Dead Sea, um, getting a tattoo. Some sites had funny things like this. I, I like this, you know, you know, on my bucket list. To be able to say no way to a guy named Jose, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, no way, Jose. You know, that, that would be fine. You know, uh, 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 gluing quarters to the sidewalk and watching people try to pick them up. You know, that, that'd be fun. 
other sites had more significant things like reconciling with the family member before you kick the bucket, finding your purpose in life. And I clicked around and I learned that most people have a lot of things on their bucket list. One site said you should have 101 things on your bucket list. Well, Simeon, like I said, had a very small bucket list. In fact, only had one thing on it. Before he died, he wanted to see God's Messiah. Number four, Luke says, Simeon was spirit-filled and a spirit-led man. The spirit was on him. The spirit prompted him. And when the spirit prompted him to do something or to go somewhere, he responded. Okay, so Simeon was moved by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple when Jesus was 40 days old. And you know, this week I started to wonder, like, okay, how, how, did, how did Simeon know to look for a baby as a Messiah and, and like, not a full-grown man, right? And, and, and I was like, did, like, the Holy Spirit tell him that day, hey, go looking for a baby? Like, how did he know? And then I'm like, oh, dude, what about Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14? The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Turn to the person to your right and left and say, God is with us. God is with us. It's good to say, right? God is with us, and he is. And so if you know the Messiah is going to be born as a baby, a great place to station yourself would be where? At the temple. Because, you know, when that child turns 40 days old, mom and dad are coming to the temple. So for years, perhaps decades, Simeon is at the temple. And I'm sure every time that a mom and dad walked in with a blue blanket, you know, it's pulse quickened a little bit. Luke continues. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Okay, picture the scene. Families are coming in and out of the temple all day. Babies are crying Lambs are doing whatever lambs do, and everybody's trying to keep their pigeons and doves from flying away, and, and priests are pronouncing blessings on the children, and everybody's celebrating this together as a family. And off to the side is Simeon just doing his thing. And then this righteous man, whose name means he who hears, hears the Holy Spirit say, yo, <laughs> this is it. He's here. He's here. Look, over there. He's the one. And Simeon steps towards them. His mind is racing with the promise. His heart is about to burst from his chest. Could this be the promise? Could this baby be the, be the one that I've been waiting for for so long? And understand, as Simeon looked at the tiny face of Jesus, he knew that all that he had been promised was now staring right back at him. And so he did the only thing anyone can do when they meet Jesus and recognize that salvation has come. He began to crank out a tune of praise. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, let's check that puppy off my bucket list. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go home. Now, the word dismiss it refers to the release of a prisoner or to untie a ship and set, set it off to sail. And that's exactly how Simeon feels. The long wait is over. The years of anticipation have been fulfilled. He has seen and personally held the Lord's salvation. And now he's ready to be dismissed. He's ready to be untied, set free, and set sail off into God's presence forever. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared 
in sight of all nations, a light for the Gentiles, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. It's a really short song, and my Bible is just 45 words. In the original Greek, it's 32 words, but yet it has some pretty powerful and simple truths in them. Number one, that God is sovereign. That means God is in charge. That means God is in control. And that's a good thing, right? Aren't you glad he's in control? No matter how chaotic this world looks or how your world looks, God is on his throne. Number two, God keeps his promises. If God said he's going to do something, he's going to do it, right? I don't know what promise you're waiting for, but one day you're going to hold, like Simeon held his promise in his arms, one day you're going to hold the promise of God in your arms because he keeps his promises. Number three, God's salvation is here. It's here. It's arrived. Number four, his salvation is for all people. You see, here's the thing about the gospel. It's for you. It's for you. And it's for you. And it's for you. Sometimes we forget that, right? We think the gospel is for everybody else. But I want to tell you, the gospel is for you too. The good news applies to you. And and, and number five, that Jesus is the light that will reveal God to the entire world. If you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. You want to know what kind of things God would say, what God would do, who God would have meals with, who God would reach out to, who God would say could enter his kingdom, who God would kind of get ticked at, right? The kind of things that God would do, the things God would say, you just look at Jesus, and Jesus reveals God to the entire world. God is sovereign. He keeps his promises. God's salvation is here. His salvation is for all people, including you. Jesus is the light that will reveal God to the entire world. Luke continues, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against, so the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. You see, Jesus, the great deliverer, is also the great divider, right? He's the great divider. See, some people, when it comes to Jesus, Jesus will be a stone that they stumble over and fall because they refuse to surrender to Jesus and accept who he is. For others, right, Jesus won't be a stone they stumble over, but he'll be a rock that they can build their lives on, and they will rise, right? See, all of humanity will, always, will be divided into two categories, right? You know, th- those who stumble over Jesus and reject him, and, and those who surrender to Jesus and accept him. And then Simeon looks at Mary and says, and a sword, and the word there for sword, is, the Roman soldiers had different swords. Like one was kind of a short sword, kind of like a dagger for close fighting. This word for sword is like the long sword, indicating, Mary, this sword, that's going to pierce your soul, it's long. And it's going to be difficult. Mary, it's going to be hard for you. Moms, would it be hard for you to watch your son betrayed, to watch your son mocked, to watch your son arrested, to watch your son spit upon, to see people who your son had healed turn their back on him, to see your son nailed to the cross, right? And the sword will pierce your own soul too. Now in our time remaining, what I, what I want us to do is to look at these 15 verses. Because what struck me this week in my studies is that within these, within these 15 verses are some incredible truths about where and how we can find a joy that lasts. A joy that is deep. A joy that is real. And if your joy level could use a boost this 
time of year. And sometimes it does this time of year, right? Sometimes it, it, ain't, it ain't so happy, right? You know, what we're going about to talk about, these things are kind of almost like a checklist where, where the more you do these things, the more your joy level will increase. And it's guaranteed to happen because it's not my words, it's God's word. Okay, so number one, there's joy in following God's commands. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Simeon followed God's commands. And, and guess what? Mary and Joseph, we already saw, they followed God's command. They followed God's word. And listen, being righteous and devout, doing what God asked us to do, and following God's commands, it brought them joy. There's joy in obedience. Now, I remember a couple times when my, my kids were young, and, and, and my oldest will be 33 you know, in, in uh, March, but when, when they were young, you know, that, that sometimes before I would leave the house, I would say something like, hey, you know, before I come back home, you better clean your room, right? You know, and, and on a few occasions, right, they did it. <laughs> you know, on, on, on a few occasions, they did it, and, and when, they, when I got home, they wanted to show me the room, right? Hey, look, my bed's made. Look, all the stuff underneath my bed's even gone, you know? And I put my clothes away. And, 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 and look, all my toys are back on the shelf. All the things are where they needed to be. And they're so excited to tell me that. Why? Because there's joy in obedience. There's joy in when we do what's expected of us. Here's some scriptures about joy and obedience. Psalm 119, verse 92. If your instructions hadn't sustained me with joy... I would have died in misery. And I love this next one. As pressure and stress bear down on me. Ever happened to you? This time of year, a lot of pressure and stress. You know, my Christmas tree is giving me some stress right now. You know, like, like just the other day, like that much went dark, right? You know, and I already told the tree, this is your last year. You're, you're, I'm deep six in you, right? You're out of here right? You know, and, and it must have knew it. And now it's like, and that's like, I got to go get some lights. Like, it's like really bothering me, causing me a, a lot of stress, right? As pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. Wow, is that good? I find joy in your commands. And I read these words this morning in Psalm, Psalm 40. I was supposed to read it on Monday and our faith comes from hearing, but I didn't, right? I remember Sunday in our Bible reading program, it's catch-up day, Right? You know, catch up and reflect on what you read. And, and I read these words in Psalm 40. I take joy in doing your will, my God. Right? There, there's joy. There's joy found in doing God's will. And, and, and I'm just going to say it this way, that if your joy level is kind of low, maybe there's some commands of God that you need to start obeying and following. And, and here, here's the deal. Usually the commands that, that are the hardest to obey bring us the greatest amount of joy. Like forgiving somebody who hurt you. Like uh, putting other people's needs before your own. Like dying to yourself every day. Like loving and praying for your enemies. Like sharing your faith, right? Maple Grove, we pray for one. Every day and throughout there, we pray this simple prayer. Lord, show me one person that I can share your love with today. All right? Some of the greatest joys come from the commandments that we least want to follow, that seem the most difficult. Like giving your money to the Lord's work. Recently we read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul's talking to this, the Macedonian church. He says this, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy 
and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They gave as much as they could afford and even more simply because they wanted to. They even asked and begged us to let them have the joy of giving their money in the service to the Lord's people. Don't you like that? They're like, please let me give my money, right? Jesus said it's more blessed to get than receive, right? And said, no, no, no. It's more blessed to give. There's joy in giving to the Lord's work. You know, every week we take an offering, or, or, or some like me, we do it online, right? You know, or you text it, or you, you use your phone app, whatever it is. But I, I hope there's joy when you do that, right? Because you know, God loves a cheerful giver. You're like, man, I'm giving this to the Lord and to his work, and I could never give enough to him. Second, there's joy in eagerly waiting on God. He was eagerly waiting for the consolation of Israel. Sovereign Lord, as you promise, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. And uh, that word eagerly waiting uh, comes from a word that means looking forward to with confidence. You see, there's, there's joy in looking forward to with confidence. Uh, there's joy in eagerly waiting on God. There, there's joy in being confident. There's joy in trusting in God. Trusting that God will do what he says. Trusting that God will make things right. Trusting that, that God will keep his promises. And trusting that at the end of our waiting will always be our good. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. Those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. In Psalm 28 verse 7, again, how joy and trusting. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. Romans 15, verse 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's joy in eagerly waiting. There's joy in trusting in God, resting in him. Three, there's joy in walking with the Spirit. Luke writes, the Holy Spirit was upon him, upon Simeon. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. I understand there, there are many voices vying for our, our attention, right? And, and our job, you know, we did a series, I don't know how long ago it was, tuned in, Right? hearing his voice above the noise. It was a great series, and I, I bought myself a pair of wireless beats as an object lesson, and so I'm really excited about that, right? You know, they're finally paid off. <clears throat> uh, they're expensive, but they're really good, right? And the whole series was hearing God's voice above the noise, right? You know, and, and there's so many voices vying for our attention, and Simeon apparently figured that out, right? He figured out how to tune into God. And when the Holy Spirit prompted him to go, he didn't just sit still, right? He did it. I mean, what would have happened if he had not responded? I mean, think about the joy that he would have missed that day when the Holy Spirit said, hey, go to the, go to the temple. And he said, no, I don't really want to. You know, it was a late night last night. I got, I got to cut the grass at home or something. I'm not, not going to go today. Maybe next week I'll go. You see, we need to work at being in tune to the Holy Spirit. And when he prompts us to do something, right, we need to do it. You know, I need to do it, right? 
When he prompts you, hey, you know what? That person is going through a hard time. Maybe you should send them a note or give them a hug. You're like, well, no, maybe next week, right? You know, when he prompts you, hey, you know, that person still thinks you're mad at them. Maybe you should tell them, hey, we're good. <laughs> you know, you're like, nah, we'll do that later, right? I mean, think about all the joy you have missed and I have missed because the Holy Spirit spoke and we said, not right now. So here's an action step for you guys this week when you're out and about. Ask yourself these, these kind of questions. Lord, who do you want me to talk to? Lord, what do you want to teach me right now? And Lord, why have you put me in this position, in this situation? You see, when our plans change and they do, we need to look at the interruption as a divine appointment to speak with someone or to have God teach us something. So this week, go on a God hunt. Look for him in the ordinary and the unexpected. And here's a few verses about how the Holy Spirit and joy go together. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, a bunch of rules, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1.6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And Galatians 5.22 says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, and peace. And number four, there's, there's joy in recognizing that God is sovereign. Yeah, there's joy in, in recognizing that, that God is in charge, that this is his world, and, and that, he, that he's not just a king and the Lord, but that he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords, and, and that, that as Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Makes you wonder why they thought the world was flat, right? You know, with Columbus, right? Seven or years earlier, God says, hey, you know, the world's not flat, it's a circle, right? Actually, it's the word for sphere, right? Again, another proof of the Bible, right? Pre-scientific knowledge, right? It gives us confidence in our faith, right? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and his people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Uh, understand, God's sovereignty and his absolute control, knowing that he's in charge and knowing that nothing except their own stupid decisions can stop his plans and purposes for lives. It's meant to give us a real and deep joy. Get it? Good. Here's a couple quotes I found about God's sovereignty this, this week. One is from Mark Batterson, phenomenal writer. There comes a moment when you must quit talking to God about the mountain in your life and start talking to the mountain about your God. You proclaim his power. You declare his sovereignty, you affirm his faithfulness, you stand on his word, you cling to his promises. Amen? And I like this one from that great preacher in England, Charles Spurgeon. When you go through a trial, anybody going through a trial right now, difficult time? The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you rest your head. Man, that is good stuff. Number five, there's joy in seeing our salvation. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Brothers and sisters, there's joy in seeing our salvation for how awesome and mind-blowing it actually is. And understand, our, our, our salvation, it, it's, it's basically a two-part deal. Part number one is redemption, right? 
God redeems us. He buys us back. He pays the debt for our sin. He removes the barrier separating us from Christ. The second part is restoration, right? God doesn't just redeem me, but he restores me, right? Because what God wants to do, he wants to get that image, right? He wants to restore that image of him that's in me as his creation, that sin has messed up. So redemption and restoration. And, and listen, when you and I think about our salvation, if it does not result in joy, we probably need to pray the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. God, restore it to me. God, it doesn't excite me anymore. God, it, it seems boring to me. God, it seems so hum. It seems routine. It doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't get my blood pumping anymore, God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, the joy of your simple gospel. Peter writes this about our salvation. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. What he's saying is when he's, the Spirit of Christ was in them because he's the Word of Christ and, and, and people like Daniel and Isaiah, right, and, and, and David, they spoke things about Christ but they didn't really get it. They really couldn't understand it because it was really meant for us. And then, then he continues, do you realize how fortunate you are? Angels would have given anything to be in on this. Angels. Who have seen things like the creation of the universe, the beginning of time, angels who, who are in the presence of God the Father and God the Son on a regular basis, angels who live in the place that John described in Revelation, wish they could experience the things that we experience as Jesus followers. And guess what? Even the prophets, they get fired up about it. They wrote about it, but they never quite got it, right? And you know, Sometimes we imagine that we're them, right? I know I have, right? You, know, you imagine you're David, right, taking out that giant. You imagine you're Moses parting that Red Sea. Uh, you imagine you're Daniel coming out of that lion's den, right? You know? Guess what? They try to imagine being us. Man, what would it be like to be them? What would it be like to have what the Jesus followers have in Charlottesville, Virginia, in the year 2016? What would it be like? There's joy in seeing our salvation. Have you ever heard this verse before? No eye has seen, no ears heard, and no mind has conceived or imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Great verse. It's read at funerals a lot of times, and it certainly applies to heaven, but in the context, it's not talking about heaven. In the context, you know what it's talking about? The gospel. Like, it's talking about the gospel. It's talking about the good news, right? No one could figure this out. This is like crazy, amazing, incredible stuff. Do you, you know, see your salvation you know, as like, are you kidding me? The things that God has done for you, the things that we have in him, does it excite you? Does it excite you that, 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 that God adopted you, right, in his own family, right, the king of kings? Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. You know what my dad is? You know, he, he, I saw a great sunset early Friday morning. Sitting in Michael's having breakfast with them guys. My dad did that. You know? He created that. You know? He created the stars that I look at at night. That's my dad. I'm in his family. He adopted me. He chose me. He picked me. 
He loves me. He lives inside of me. Six, there's joy in continually being lost in wonder. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And, and when I first looked at that verse this week, I'm like, why are they marveling, right? Like, Simeon didn't tell him, tell him anything new. I mean, both Joseph and Mary, angel appeared to them, right? Said, hey, you're going to have a baby. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Call him Jesus because he can save his few of sins, right? He's the Messiah. And, and, and he's going to sit on David's throne and his kingdom will never end. I mean, they, 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 they knew this stuff, but guess what? Here's the deal. They never lost their wonder. And, and, and here, I'm convinced that one of our fundamental problems, probably one of our fundamental joy problems, is not only that we're not lost in wonder, but that we have lost our wonder. I mean, we, we no longer marvel at the greatness of God. Uh, we no longer marvel at, at the wonder of creation. We no longer marvel at, at God's great and unfailing, unconditional love. We no longer marvel over his mercy and his grace. Uh, we no longer marvel that God would actually send his one and only son to die on the cross for us individually. We, we no longer marvel at how God could somehow pack all his divinity and humanity. Who can figure that out? But if we could figure it out, we'd be God, right? You can't figure it out. But somehow he did it. All his deity into a little baby that Simeon could. We no longer marvel at Jesus would pay a debt he never owed because we owed a debt we never paid. We no longer marvel at our adoption into his family. Have you lost your wonder? You know? Do you marvel at what do you get to be a part of? This morning I read in Psalm 40, verse 17, and David wrote it. I go, this is so cool. David said, the Lord is thinking of me right now. Wow. Are you kidding me? Like right now. Right now in heaven, God's thinking of me. And he's thinking of you. And you know what? He's probably, the things he's thinking about you are probably not what you think he's thinking about you. Yeah. I, I, I put a message on my Facebook, and, and I put it was from God. I don't think he'll be mad at me. Um, yeah, but I put it on my Facebook today, you, know, you are doing better than you think you are, God. Some of you, God, would say that today to you, right? He's thinking about it. You think he's thinking, oh, man, what a loser, what a bum. They can never do anything. Right. You know what he's probably thinking? Man, you're doing better than you think you are. You're doing much better than you think you are. You make more progress than you think you have, Right? Don't lose your wonder. And finally, there, there's joy in knowing that the wait is over. Simeon was eagerly waiting. I understand, if you've been waiting for a love that is never-ending and unfailing, unconditional and unbounding, the wait is over. If you've been waiting for a hope that is living and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade away, the wait is over. If you've been waiting for a way to get right with God that does not depend on your effort and your performance, the wait is over. If you've been waiting for peace in a world of conflict, joy that is inexpressible, and a life not bound up by fear or worry, the wait is over. If you've been waiting for satisfaction and fulfillment, meaning and purpose, if you've been waiting for a reason to get out of bed each and every morning, the wait is over. If you've been waiting for mercy that is new every morning and a grace that washes over you like a mighty tidal wave, the wait is over. If you've been waiting for your past to be forgiven, your future to be guaranteed, and your present to be empowered by God, the wait is over. 
If you've been waiting for some light in your darkness, some strength for each day, rest for your weary soul, and for that deep thirst to be forever quenched, your wait is over. If you've been waiting for that friend who sticks closer to you than a brother who will love you when you are unlovely and will be faithful even when you are not and who will push you and believe in you no matter what, the wait is over. If you've been waiting for salvation and rescue, for a chance to begin again and again and again and again with the God of the do-over, the God of the mulligan, right? The wait is over. It's over. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You see, Simeon was ready to be dismissed in peace because he held salvation in his arms. He was ready. He was ready to kick the bucket. Are you? I mean, we never know when we're going to kick it, right? There's some people just the other day, right, driving up I-95. Maybe they were going to visit relatives for Christmas, and a, a gas tanker overturned, exploded, 57-car pileup, and at least two people died, right? I don't think they thought they were going to kick the bucket, right? And, and maybe there's some things they needed to do, right, that they said, well, I got time, I'll do it, you know, I'll wait to New Year's, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll save that for that New Year's resolution, right? You know, then, you know, you just never know. We never know, right? And, and, and here, here's the deal, you know, we are only ready to be dismissed in peace, not, not when we hold salvation in our arms like Simeon, but rather when God's salvation is holding us, right? You know, is God's salvation holding you this morning, right? You know, uh, one of my favorite uh, you know, secular Christmas, it's weird. What's the Christmas song that doesn't have Christ in it? Right? It's like, wait, that's weird, but there's a bunch of them. You know, I pick, you know, especially if Michael Buble is selling, singing it because he's just like, he's awesome. You know, you know, all I want for Christmas is you. I think that's God's favorite, right? Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, he looks at me and you, right? And he goes, all I want for Christmas is you. All I want is you. All I want is you. All I want is you to surrender. All, all I want is you to trust me and to believe in me, right? All I want is you. I'm here to tell you, God wants you. And maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered to him. Maybe you don't even know what that means, but you feel the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you know what? You need to do something to get your life right. You know what? I'll be up here. Talk to me, right? You know, I guarantee you, if something is prompting you to move towards God, it is not the devil, right? Every single time. It's God saying, you know, you, you need to do something, right? Maybe you're here today and you just need to do something, right? Maybe you're here today and you just need to, you know, you need to surrender your life to him again and, and boost up your joy level, right? Okay, whatever decision you need to make, would you stand? I, I'm going to pray. Father God, we love you. And God, we're so thankful that, God, that you are sovereign. God, that this is your world, that no matter how chaotic it gets, that you reign and rule over it. God, I pray for those who are going through a hard and difficult time right now, God, that they will trust and rest in your sovereignty, God, that your sovereignty will be a pillow that they can rest on. And God, I, I pray for, for those who, God, just need to start following your commands, God. They, they, want, they want joy in you, but they don't want to follow you, God, and it just doesn't work that way. There's no joy in the Lord unless we're following the Lord. And 
And God, I just pray during the season, God, that we will just be focused on you, God. And that we'll be excited that the wait is over, God, that we'll see our salvation as something incredibly amazing, God. And may this Christmas season, may we not lose our sense of wonder and our sense of gratitude, God, that you reign and that you rule. And God, no matter where we are, you love us and you want us. You want us to be back into your arms. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.